All right. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Clovis Hills. How's everyone doing? Yeah, it's good to be here. It's good to be in the house of God, packed house today. We're glad you're here. Um, for all of you that are teachers and students, we mourn with you this day. It's the last day of your summer vacation. And um, as I tell my children, um, I'll tell you all of you that are students, um, I never, ever, 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 ever have to go to school again. <laughs> and someday that may be you too. So anyways, if I go, I'm teaching and they're paying me. So that'll be nice. But anyways, um, man, what a great summer it's been. I don't know if you know... Um, Last week, we, and I blew it, I didn't tell, the 9 o'clock service missed out on a bunch of stuff, and if you're here double dipping from the 9 o'clock service, God bless you, I'm not that good of a preacher, but you will get some new content this service. We actually, last week at Shaver Lake, we baptized, baptized, no, we didn't tase anyone, we baptized 27 people, isn't that awesome? Yeah. And we, we, yeah, we had set out, um, and we had prayed, and we had asked the Lord, because every year we baptize about 100 people a year. That's been kind of the 10-year trait of this church. And um, we asked the Lord, Lord, would you give us 150 this year? And um, last weekend, we baptized number 152. So God has been so good, and it's awesome. So God is moving here. It's good stuff. Hey, I want to encourage you, if I get boring this morning, if you get lost, pull out your smartphone, go check out our new website. It'll help our Google rating, and you'll be serving the Lord. Amen? Okay, so I really am wrapping up Ephesians because we literally have run out of verses. This has been an eight-month journey through this, um, and, and yeah, only three more weeks to go through these two verses. I'm kidding, Scott, wherever you are. This is it. And um, this morning, my good friend, Teacher Doug, is going to come out, and he's going to read from the Word of the Lord. So if you're able to, I'd love it if you could stand in honor of God's Word, and he's going to read God's Word to us. This morning's reading is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 21 to 24. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks, Doug. You know, um, Actually, Teacher Doug, if you don't know, he's been uh, working in our children's ministry since the beginning of time. Um, he was Jesus' Sunday school teacher, and um, uh, just he's, he's probably going to go walk back in there and minister to my kids right now. Just an awesome guy. And I don't know if you know his story. Um, two years ago, him and his wife, Doris, they lost their daughter, Molly, to a drunk driver. And um, she, was just, she was in her early 20s. It was a tragic thing. And um, just crushing to a family, and it, it crushed them, but one of the things they set out, and they said, we are not going to let um, this tragic event end solely in tragedy, so they set out, we're going we're gonna to figure out some good to come from this, because we believe what the Bible says, that, that um, everything works out for the good of those who love Christ, and um, they decided on her birthday last year, they were going to call it Molly Day, and they were going to ask all their friends and family to go out 
and do a good deed in the name to remember Molly, like do a um, random act of kindness to remember Molly and do it in Jesus' name. And um, they did it last year, and it kind of went viral in our community. It was on the news. Thousands of people did it. People overseas in Europe were doing it, and it was a really cool thing. So this year, um, we're jumping on board even more. So this week, I'm encouraging you guys, go do a random act of kindness in, in the name of Jesus to someone. Hug a Raider fan, whatever you got to do. Um, <laughs> I love my Raider fans. Don't you worry. Um, but anyways, um, the, the, the point I'm making is we, we are actually partnering with Clovis Community College, which is a, a very, very cool thing that we're doing. And they're going to be doing uh, some things to remember Molly on Friday, all day on the 26th. And then that afternoon, we're having a carnival here. There'll be bounce houses and food trucks and, and water slides. And yes, your kids can go on them too, dads. Um, is, so bring your kids to it. And then afterwards, we're having a concert with the band Citizen Way. Uh, they, you, if you've heard them, they're all over K-Love right now. They have a couple hits. They're awesome. Marlena Capato, who uh, came and led worship here a few months ago, is going to be opening up, and our Clovis Hills worship team is going to play a couple songs too. So it's going to be an awesome time. Make sure you come to that this Friday at Molly Day. We have tickets out there, all that. But, um, you know, we're, we're wrapping up this, this series, and um, Tychicus, or, and I know that Teacher Doug called him Tychicus, and... Um, I, I let you in on, on a little secret about uh, Greek and Hebrew in the Bible. Um, I, when I went to seminary, I studied under a guy named Dr. Mark Strauss, who is one of the leading uh, Bible New Testament translators in the world. He's the editor of the NIV translation, uh, just a brilliant man. And I remember one day I'm in class studying Greek, and I, I, I couldn't pronounce someone's name. I didn't know how to read it. Because, you know, you go through the Bible, and it's like the Perezites, the Millabites, the Mosquito Bites, the Hittites, the on and on and on, right? And I, I couldn't pronounce this one name. It was like Tychicus. And, I, and I, I said, how do you pronounce this right? And he said, well, Sean, how do you say your name? And I said, Sean. He goes, if you lived in New York, how would you say your name? Sean. He goes, no, Sean. Right? And if you live in Ireland, oh, Sean. So, you know, so there's different cadences, and depending on, on, on the time and the place, he goes, these names would have been pronounced different. So the truth of the matter is, if you ever get stuck and you can't pronounce a name in Greek or Hebrew, just say it as fast as you can and kind of mumble it, and you probably said it close to right. So I want you to understand something. Tychicus, Tychicus, tomato, tomato, Sean, Sean, it doesn't matter. But I'm going to call him Tychicus today, okay? And Tychicus is this guy that is relatively unknown in the Bible. But um, we've, we hear about him in Acts chapter 5 because Paul always had a group. He had a group of brothers that followed him around. They, they were his 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 growth group, his small group, wherever he went. He had Timothy, he had Mark, he had Tychicus, he had... He had these different people that followed him around. Jesus always had a group of people around him. He had the 12, and then he had three, right? Three of the 12 were his favorite. So he, Jesus, had a growth group. He had a small group. God, believe it or not, has a growth group. If you look in the scripture, God is described as a trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And at different points in scripture, you see all of them together. They had a little... In Genesis 1, when the earth was created, they had a little growth group meeting. And God the Father was there. He said, let there be light. It said the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And then when he spoke the Word of God, Jesus is the Word of God, the Word incarnate. All three were there. Even God 
is in a growth group. So we're going to talk about the value of community today. And the name of the message is called More, More Than Friends. But there was a study done years ago, and it was called the Alameda County Study. And it was the most comprehensive study on health and well-being in Amer- that America's ever had. And um, it, w- it was done, done out, out of uh, University of California, Los Angeles. And they studied 7,000 people in Alameda County. And they studied their health habits from 1965 to the year 2000. And they, they studied these 7,000 people for that long. And they studied how they ate, how they slept, their stress levels, their health habits, all of those things. And there was all kinds of interesting data that came out of it. But to me, I think the most interesting thing that came out of it was this. They said that people that had bad health habits, like um, smoking, obesity, alcohol, high stress, poor sleep, who lived in vibrant community with other people, actually lived longer than those who exercised and ate well. Think about that. It is better to eat Twinkies in the presence of friends than broccoli alone. Can I get an amen, all my Baptists out there? Yeah, okay? You can tweet that one. Listen, that's not a proverb in the Bible. I said that. So anyways, there was another study done by the AMA, and um, they infected 276 volunteers with the cold virus. Who who volunteers for that? I'll take the cold. What's next week? Stomach flu? Um, So they infected 276 volunteers with the common cold, and they found that people, people that lived in community that had deeper relationships were four times better at shedding illness than those who were not connected. I want you to think about that. They said that they were less susceptible to cold, less susceptible to, to viruses, and um, they also had less mucus than unconnected people. I'm not making this up. I, I, I'm not making this up. Unconnected people are literally more snotty than those that are connected. So I want, I want you to understand that. So um, the, the, the truth is this. These studies, they really, they tell us at a scientific, at a biological level, the truth that the writers of Scripture have been saying for thousands of years. These studies tell us at a biological level what our soul knows and deeply longs for but doesn't know how to get in its connection with other people. See, ultimately, the Bible tells us that when um, humanity sinned, when we sinned against God, our relationship with God was severed, it was broken, it was shattered, and our relationships to one another became shattered. This is why we have strife. This is why we have relational problems. I know no one in this service has relational problems. It's all the 9 o'clock people and the Saturday night people, but... They, they really struggle with their relationships. And Jesus came to undo the effects of sin. So I want, I want to talk to you about this because I believe this, that you and I, we know deep down inside we were created to be in community with each other as brothers and sisters in the Lord. You were destined for it. And part of the thing that, that in our bones we don't feel like life is not right is part of it is because we are disconnected. You were created by God for community. 
As a matter of fact, in the Bible, in Genesis 1, it says we're the image bearers of God, right? And God is in community. Jesus was in community. Therefore, we should be in community. So if you have your outline, pull it out, and we're going to get to it. Number one is this. Number one, you can write down in the blank, a dear brother. Tychicus was a dear brother. Let me, let me explain what I mean. I want to read, read you the scripture. Um, and it says, it says here, Tychicus. The dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing. So he was a dear brother. And I want to explain to you a little bit about this word brother. See, um, in the ancient world, in, in the early Christians, they all called each other brother and sister. And there was a reason they did. In the modern world, if you go to church and someone calls you brother, it's probably because they forgot your name for my brother, right? Okay. But the, the, the truth of the matter, it was a real thing in, in the early church because the early church was a Jewish movement. You have to understand that. As 21st century Westerners, moderners, we have put religion in several categories. You have Judaism, Christianity, Islam, all the Eastern religions. It's, it's kind of the, the four categories that we put religion in. But here's what you have to understand. Christianity was a Jewish movement. The disciples were Jews. Jesus was a Jew. They, the first Christians believed, and we believe, that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Come to forgive the sins of the world. So what happened was these early believers in Jesus, they would go to the synagogue. They would go to the temple like good Jews, and they observed all the Jewish traditions, and they were part of Jewish families, and then what happened was, over time, they got, they got kicked out of the synagogue because they kept proclaiming Christ as the Messiah. And when you were a, a, a person and you got baptized into the faith, here's what happened. Your family wrote you off. You were disowned by your family. And when you made the choice to be a disciple of Jesus, there, it was a real decision. It wasn't like, a, oh, well, let's try this on, see if it's cool. I mean, it meant a lot if you did it and you lost your family. And, you were and when Paul writes in the book of Ephesians about being adopted into the family of God, they really had to be family. They had to become brothers and sisters to each other. When they were being persecuted, they had to become brothers and sisters to each other. So Tychicus, Paul describes him as a dear brother. And here's what I want you to understand how it works. In the church back in those days, um, they didn't, they didn't, especially when they, they, they would meet on Saturdays in the synagogue, and then on Sunday, which is like our Monday, it was the first day of the week, they'd all meet in each other's homes. And they would sing a hymn, and they would read from the scripture, and they might take communion before work, usually, or after work on a Sunday, and then they would go about their day, or they'd go about their evening. And this is where we get the tradition as Christians of gathering and, and, and doing that. They didn't have a gathering space, so they did it in homes. But over time, we find by the end of the first century, they started gathering in larger, larger groups. But here's what I want you to understand. For the most part, Paul's in jail. He's writing the book of Ephesians. 
And um, jail is much different in the Roman world. He, he's writing the book of Ephesians. He's chained to a guard. He's chained to a wall. In Roman jail, they don't bring you food. If you're sick, you die. You don't get three meals. You don't get to lift weights. You don't get to finish your GED. You don't get to do any of that stuff. It's not like prisons here. If you are hungry, you're hungry, unless someone comes and brings you food. So Tychicus was one of his guys, and he probably came in when Paul was sick and nursed him to health. He probably brought him food all the time. He brought letters from other Christians. And then Paul pens this letter to the Ephesians, but really, most scholars believe it was a letter to all the churches in, 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 that, in that area. So he gives it to Tychicus, and he says, take this to Ephesus and read this to the churches. So he goes to Ephesus and he begins to read it to the churches. And while the pastor's there reading it in the house with all the, all the people, you know, you know how it works, right? Someone goes, wait, wait, hold on. I, I have a question. He said something about the helmet of salvation. What exactly is the helmet of salvation? And the pastor would go, I don't know. What is it, Tychicus? And Tychicus would explain it. Would it be nice to have a Tychicus nowadays? Amen? I forgot. That's my job, right? So Tychicus goes to Ephesus, and he shares this letter of the Ephesians to them. Now, I want you to understand something about how the early church is compared to, say, um, the modern church. And every church throughout history has had different cultural expressions. You have to understand that. But um, they became brothers and sisters. And if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, one of the first things you have to do is become a brother or a sister. And here's what I mean by that. See, we, sometimes I describe um, the church in general in, in, in the West in the 21st century as a sack of marbles. That's the way, because we're all very individualistic. And there's some beauty to that. That's why we all look different and act different. We all have different opinions. We all like different kinds of music and all foods and all that. But here's what I also want you to understand. We look like a sack of marbles. We're hard little autonomous units that gather together in a sack right now. And then when we're done, we all leave as individuals and we're individuals and that's the way we think. But here's what I want you to understand. The way the church was designed, the way the body of Christ was designed, we're not to be a sack of marbles. We're more to be like a bunch of grapes, organically connected together somehow and connected to the vine. And in a church this size, look around right now. There's a lot of you in here. Diverse group from every walk of life, socioeconomic, ethnically, all of that. I want you to understand something. In a church this size, um, you, we have to be brothers and sisters to one another or else you just get lost in the crowd. See, there's seven or eight pastors on staff at this church and the average church in the world is 74 people. And do you know why it's 74 people? Because that's about the number of people one pastor can minister to. And if there's only seven or eight of us and there's a couple thousand people that call Clovis Hills their home, there's no way the pastors can do all the ministry. This is why we break into little groups called growth groups throughout the church. We meet all over the city, all over the place, different times. We have classes. We do different things. And we have teams and all those things because as the body of Christ, we're supposed to be connected together and ministering to one another. So... In order to be a brother or sister, here's the truth. You gotta put yourself out there. You do, you gotta put yourself out there. And um, that can be scary. Sometimes you, you get rejected and sometimes you feel weird, you feel awkward, but you gotta put yourself there. Um, this is why we have all different kinds of growth groups too. We have growth groups for people that are 
that are married. We have people, growth groups for divorce, for singles, for students, for, for um, one-eyed, blind, backwards-walking chihuahuas. You name it. We got a growth group for everyone in this church. I mean, we have classes um, that address parents, singles, kids, youth, college, you, you, you name it. And it, it's so that you can be, become a brother or sister, but you got to put yourself out there. And here's what I want you to know. There can be no maturity in your spiritual life. There can be um, no obedience, no wholeness, apart from immersing yourself into the community of believers. And you've got to be a brother or a sister to other people. And they've got to be one to you. So he's a dear brother, okay? And, and here, here's the truth. I'm not myself all by myself. And some of you right now, you're, you're thinking, you know what, he's just trying to get me in a growth group and if I hang around Christians, I'll start acting like a Christian and believing like a Christian and I'm not a sheep. That's groupthink. I'm not doing it. And um, here's what I'm gonna tell you. Yes, I am. But I want you to be, think logically for a moment. You don't think you're influenced by the people you're around right now. You don't think you were influenced by the home you grew up in. You don't think who you are is because of other people, the, the, the friends that you've had in your life, the family that you've had in your life, the job that you worked, the blogs that you read, the things that you watch. All, we're all shaped by other people. The question is, who are you going to allow help shape who you are? That's, that's ultimately the question, because I am not myself by myself. I need other believers. So it leads me to this next point. Number two, not only was he a brother or a sister, it said he was a faithful servant. He says, Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, he will tell you everything so that you may also know how I'm doing and what I'm doing. Um, he, he's a, a faithful servant. And here's what I want you to know. Um, there's all kinds of ways to serve at, at Clovis Hills, but the, the point of serving is not so that you just get personal fulfillment. It, it, it's actually so that you can elevate Christ. And, and we'll, we'll get a little further into that, but one of the coolest things is uh, this last week we had something um, for all our growth group leaders. Our, grow, our growth group's director, Pastor Liz Fields, uh, threw a luau for all the growth group leaders. It was pretty awesome. If, if you, you're missing out because she throws awesome parties, she got Dave Love doing a hula dance and Dave Cameron, and next year we're going to get him with the coconuts and everything. But anyways, um, here, here, here's the deal. At this luau, she went around and she started asking groups to share about how they were able to minister to one another or, or serve other people out there. And I kept hearing story after story. And um, rather than me tell a story, I thought Liz would do a better job telling it. So Liz is going to come up and tell you just a story about a couple of, some of our growth groups that are serving right now. Thank you. Great. And so, um, you know, this whole talk about brotherly and sisterly love and in our growth groups, we had a new growth group that started last year. And actually how it started was the growth group leaders were in another group the third night availability changed. And so we did some training and some talking together. And so they took over um, doing a growth group on their own. And so they're brand new to it. And um, a while back, she was um, the growth group leader. It's a husband and wife. Had gone to, she had gone to a lactation class. She was pregnant. She was a week overdue and a little discouraged by that. And she met a young mom there who had a brand new baby. And she was kind of sharing her story. And the, and the new mom said, would you like to hold my little baby boy? 
And so this growth group leader said, yes, absolutely. And what that did was it sparked a friendship between these two ladies. And this lady that, um, that my growth group leader befriended, she didn't go to church. In fact, she was an atheist. And she was sharing with our growth group leader the, the story of her little boy who had been diagnosed with um, a birth defect of Down syndrome and had had many surgeries and um, just it wasn't expected to live. And so this growth group leader said, can I pray for you? And she did. And, and um and, and the, you know, the, the lady was fine with that. You know, people usually don't, you know, deny you if you want to pray for them. And so that was great. And she brought it to her growth group, and she asked them, can we take on this family? Can we pray for them? Um, they're going through this tough time. And so um, they did this. They came around them, and they prayed for them. And, um, but as things turned out, this little baby, he did not survive. God took him home. But what happened with this growth group at that point was the love that they poured out to this couple during that time. This couple was devastated. They didn't know what to do. And this growth group came with a full frontal love attack, as they call it. And they loved on this couple. And they actually, the couple didn't know what to do as far as planning a memorial or service, whatever. And this growth group said, we'll do it. We'll take care of it. And they took care of the whole thing. And they showed so much love to this couple. And it really touched them. And I know to this day they are still um, reeling from the effects of, that, of that, what happened to them in that growth group. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So, Liz, wait, wait, before you go, how does someone get in a growth group? Absolutely. So we're talking this weekend. We actually have under the pavilion Growth Group Connection. And it is a great way to come out. And we, as Sean said, we have growth groups for all different ages, different types of where you are in your life. And um, I even have a table. If you can't find something, I have a form that you'll fill out, and I will find you something. We'll start a group. We'll do whatever we need to do. Because we believe so much that getting connected, going deeper in your faith, and building relationships is so important. And we, we learned that from what Jesus did when he was here. One of the first things he did, as Sean said, he got a, a guys, 12 guys together to hang out with him. We want you guys to experience that. Awesome. Let's give it up for Liz. Thanks. So he's a dear brother. He's a faithful servant. And then, you know what? Number three is this. He was sent for the benefit of others, believe it or not. I love the, the way um, what 1 Peter says in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 8 through 10. Look what P Peter says. He says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. That is good news, isn't it? Do we have any sinners in the house today? How many of you sin in multitudes? So that's good news, right? It's, it says, love one another deeply, for love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. I guess I'll go help in the preschool class, whatever. I'm going to make cookies today. Uh, yeah, yeah, have you ever been that way? Don't feel guilty. We all have at some point. Um, it says, each of you, though, should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. See, I think um, as a pastor, sometimes um, I do you a disservice. We, pastors in general, we do a disservice because we end up teaching about growth groups and serving. And, and what happens is we make this tacit assumption that, hey, if you get in a growth group, it'll, it'll change your life and meet all your deepest needs. 
If you serve, you'll find your gift and it'll change your life and it'll make all your, meet all your deepest needs. I want you to understand something. That may happen, but it's actually backwards thinking. The point of serving, being a faithful servant, isn't so that you can meet your deepest needs and feel fulfilled and good about yourself. The point of us serving is to lift Christ up. And what happens when we put others before us and we, and we do it in Jesus' name, here's what happens. You don't get a blessing just because you're like, do you see, I did it. I went to the homeless shelter and I helped. Bless me. It doesn't work that way. What happens is when you surrender yourself and you lift Christ up in spite of what your needs are and you put others in, uh, above yourself, then God blesses you. But we get it backwards. We think, oh, if I do this, then I'll get personal fulfillment. And then you join a growth group and they're all just as sinful and weird as you and you're not personally fulfilled. But here's what I want you to understand. Maybe you need to join a team or you need to be in a group or get involved in a class or get involved in some way, not to make you a better person, but for the benefit of others. Sometimes God sends you to something, not just for you, but for someone else. Um, re recently, I was asked to be uh, the life coach for uh, Clovis North Varsity Football. And um, if you don't know what a life coach is, it's like a sneaky way of being a chaplain, I think. Because <laughs> they were like, basically, we want you to love the kids. We want you to get in their lives, see how they're doing in school, see how their relationships are, and, and just bless them, be, be their pastor. And I said, okay. And I showed up the first day of practice, and all these guys, great guys, are all shaking my hand. They're awesome, awesome kids. And, but there was this one kid, and I knew the minute I saw him, I said, I'm here because of him, my Lord. I, I just knew. And he didn't want to talk to me. He didn't want anything to do with me. I kept saying hi to him. And he's like, oh, creepy. Um, you know, <laughs> probably thought I was like some weirdo. But uh, pulled up my windowless van. I don't know why he thought I was creepy. But anyways. <laughs> so last week, the coach pulls me aside. He goes, man, I've got some kids and they have some serious problems. And um, do you, I don't know what to do. And I, and I asked, and it was that one kid that wanted nothing to do with me. And I could have just been like, you know what? He thinks I'm weird. I'm creeping him out. I should leave him alone. Maybe God, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I'm not here for that, that kid. But sometimes when God gives you something, you got to go get it. It just doesn't get laid in your lap. So I walked over to him in the middle of practice, and I put my arm around him, and he got super awkward. He was like, ah. And I go, dude, you, you look like you're carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. What's going on? And practice was over for him because he just phew, let it all out. We went to dinner. We started talking. See, guys, sometimes God sends you somewhere for someone else and not yourself. And Tychicus understood that he had to be a dear brother. He had to be in community. He had to be a faithful servant sometimes doing the job that he didn't want to do, sent for the benefit of others. And see, um, in John chapter 13, 
there's a story, uh, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. But I want to give you a, a little background to it because it actually makes a lot more sense after, after that. And you probably could relate to some of the disciples. So um, I know I, I do, but here, here's the deal. So Jewish people, the disciples are Jewish, and th- their faith is, um, a, a lot of their faith has to deal with being ritually pure. So before everything, they're always washing, they're always clean. If, um, I'm, going to Is- I'm taking a group to Israel in, in March, And if you go with me, you'll see in these ancient ruins, um, outside of a lot of these houses, they have these things called mikvahs, and they were just giant baths. And sometimes before you went into someone's house, you'd take all your clothes off or strip down to a loincloth or whatever, and you, a Jewish male, would wash himself completely. They were obsessed about being ritually clean. And um, the Passover is the holiest of all the Jewish holidays, right? It's like the one, the big one, you know? And, you know, being ritually clean all of that is very important when you celebrate the Passover. So Jesus and his disciples are going to celebrate the Passover, right? They, so Jesus is sent ahead. They've got the meal prepared. They've got it all ready. And um, they've been traveling from city to city. And you need to understand something about the Roman roads of that time. They were all dirt. They were very dirty. They didn't have cars. The way you traveled is you either walked and you had sandals and um, if you had money, you might ride a horse or a donkey or a camel, right? And um, horses, donkeys, and camels, they have a little bit of emissions. But most of the stuff that uh, pollutes the world from them falls to the ground, right on the road right there. So you can imagine you're walking on these dirt Roman roads day in and day out. How filthy your feet get, right? I mean, think about it. You, some of you, you probably spent the week at the coast and uh, you went barefoot for a day. And you ever looked at your feet if you went barefoot just for a day? You got bacteria the size of turtles crawling around on those things. It's disgusting, okay? And we're walking on much cleaner things than, than they were. So their feet are gross, right? And in everywhere they went, every home they would go in, most homes had a servant. And when you walked in the home, the servant would be at the door and you'd take your sandals off and you'd wash your feet because your feet are stanky, okay? They're nasty, they're gross, and they would wash your feet. This is a Jewish holiday, right? And they're going to eat a meal. And here's the other thing. The way they ate back then, they didn't sit at tables. Like, you know the picture of the Last Supper? It didn't look like that whatsoever. That's a total modern construct. Their tables were like down on the ground like coffee tables. They laid on the ground while they ate, just kind of, it'd be nice, wouldn't it? You know, the dog would get more food. But anyways, um, Think about it. You know, Peter comes in, he lays down, and then John comes and he lays down and his feet are right there in your face, and you got John's stinky feet, and Jesus likes him better, and you're like, you know, it's gross, right? So here's what happened. They come in for the Passover. They get to the door. There's no servant. The first disciple's like, oh, gross. There's no one here to wash my feet? Whatever. Goes and sits down. Second disciple comes in. There's no one here to wash my feet? No servant? Whatever. Probably the third one's like, man, someone should be washing feet here. Someone should be a servant. We need more servants in this group. Sit down. We never do that, right? Someone didn't smile at me. Or, some, you know, I've been going to this church for 20 years, and I was treated wrong, and, you know, you, I, someone should be serving me better. And here's what I want you to understand. Um, we're no different. 
And what I love this morning, um, for those of you that came late, which is 90% of you, um, the 10% that got here early, I got up before church and uh, we had a couple of preschool teachers that got sick last night and couldn't teach. And I said, hey, if, you have, uh, if you're able to and you've, you, you've taught in our children's ministry, you've been background checked and whatever, go talk to Pastor Scott right now because we're down two teachers and say, Pastor Scott, put me in. Put me in the game. I'm ready to play. And um, he actually said I got mobbed by like five or six people within like 30 seconds of you saying that. So some of you guys get it. Good job. But all the disciples, we're, we're that way, though. We're like, oh, someone should be doing that. Right? My favorite, though, is the complaints about the tech team. The words are late. I hate it when the words are late. I can't sing. The only time the tech, poor tech team ever gets noticed is when something goes wrong. Someone should be doing that right. Maybe you. So... I have pre-filled complaint cards. If you'd like, you can drop them in the offering or afterwards. But so, so here's, the, here's the deal, though. All of them just sat down. Stanky, dirty feet. And then they're having the meal. And the, John says something really interesting. It said, it said this. It said, after loving his own, loving them, it says, the father then put on him all, of, all his authority. See, before this moment in history, Jesus, although being God, was fully man. Remember he said, apart from the Father, I can do? Apart from the Father, I can do? Nothing, right? He didn't have like special God powers. Like when he raised Lazarus, the Father did it. It wasn't like, oh, watch this. You know, sometimes I'm human, but I just pull out the God powers and oh, here I am, I'm Jesus. He didn't do that. He was fully human. But at this moment, it says that the Father gave him all the authority. And with all the authority and power in the cosmos, do you know what Jesus did? He didn't go, hold on, guys. I know there was no servant to wash feet. I got God powers now. It's on. Boom, clean feet. Drop the mic. I'm Jesus Christ. He didn't do that. It says, with all the power of the cosmos, with all the power of God, he got up, wrapped a towel around his waist, and he washed their feet. See, in order to be a disciple, and I want you to understand this, it's awesome when there's a packed house in church. It makes it way more fun to preach. I've preached Sundays where it's like crickets. It's like, hello, 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 hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Yeah, it's a big room. And um, it's great to have a packed house, but here's the deal. In Clovis Hills, we're not as concerned about um, how many people are coming to church. I'm concerned with what kind of people are leaving the church after the service. Are disciples, are we making disciples here? And, and, and here's the deal. If you want to be a disciple, you've got to be a brother and a sister. You've got to be a servant sent for the benefit of others. And some of you, at this point, you're like, oh, I'm starting to feel guilty. Sean, stop it. Well, here, here's, I have good news for you, and it's point number four. There's grace to you. There's grace to you. We all, we all get selfish. We all think that everything's to our benefit. We all do it. But look what Paul says at the, end, the very last verses of this, this letter he wrote. He said, peace to the brothers and sisters 
and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all, grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. See, here's the deal, guys. It's not about having a checklist like, okay, well, the pastor said I need to be in a growth group. So I'm in a growth group. Good. God be happy with me. The pastor said I need to serve. Okay, boom. I'm going to serve on a team. I'll serve with children, even though I hate them. God be happy with me. Shut up, kid. You know, it's not that. And then I'm supposed to be here for the benefit of others. So I'm, I'm here for the benefit of others. It's not about checking those boxes, guys. Being a follower of Jesus isn't about what you do. It's about what Jesus has done on the cross, and then it's your response to it. And when you realize that God is not mad at you, your sins are forgiven, he looks at you, and he sees so much, um, he, he sees a destiny that he's given. He's given every one of you in this room, I want you to understand something, each of you, yes, you, you've been gifted uniquely to serve the body of Christ, to serve one another, and to serve people outside of the body of Christ. You've been gifted uniquely. God made you for that purpose. If he didn't make you for that purpose, when you accepted Jesus as a Christian, he just would have taken you then. He'd be like, oh, Sean, you accepted me now. I don't need you anymore. Some days that would be nice, wouldn't it? Students. Anyways, (laughs) tomorrow morning, Lord, come back. So here's what I want you to understand. It's not about feeling guilty because you're not good enough. The truth of the matter is none of us are good enough. And grace has been extended. And grace, I want you to understand something, is scandalous. It's not fair. We're all about what's fair. But for some reason, God is giving grace to the religious zealot that was at the temple every day, and he knows the Bible backwards and forward, and he's, he's, he's in love with God, and then he also gave grace to a thief on a cross. And it's scandalous. But here's what happens. When you get grace, it changes why you want to be a brother and sister. It changes why you want to serve. It changes how you serve. It changes how you spend your money. It changes how you treat one another. It cha- you start having grace for others when, they, when they, they do something dumb. It changes everything. Grace is always the game changer in your life. And it's been extended to all of you. And here's what I want you to understand. Some of you right now, you're listening, and um, you know this message. You heard it your whole life. But you've, and, and God has been calling you to follow him but you've put it off time and time again, and you keep hearing the voice of God, and he's knocking at the door of your heart, and you keep just blowing him off. And, and it may not even be blowing him off. It's just, oh, I'll do it later. I'll do it later. I've got stuff to do with my life right now. I want you to understand something. I read this. I, I didn't preach this last night, but I read this in my quiet time today, and th- these are the words of God spoken through the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 65, he says this. I called you. But you didn't answer. I spoke, but you did not listen. See, the prophet describes God standing open arm for his people, saying, I called you and you, you, you just didn't listen. 
If God is calling you today to him, hear his voice and just open your heart. Surrender. I mean, living life your way, how's that working anyways? And it's time to lay down your way and take up his. Let's bow our heads. I just want to give you a moment to reflect on what you heard. And you spend, just spend a moment with you and God talking to God. And then I'll pray. Father, this morning there's some of us that um, we've been running from you. We've heard you on several occasions in our life and we've put it off. And if that's you this morning, don't put it off again. Father, I just lift up anyone today, Lord, that, that senses your call on them, that you're drawing them home to you, to, to faith again to walking with you, to a relationship with you. Father, help us understand that we we can't have healthy relationships to one another unless we have a healthy relationship to you. And for, for some of you, you've never put your faith in Christ before. It's always been an abstract concept. Jesus said this in Revelation 3.20. He said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. That he stands at the door of your heart and he's knocking. He wants you to surrender your life, to open your heart and say, Lord, come in, forgive me of my sin. In faith, I'm laying down my way and I, I believe that you died for my sins to forgive me of all of them. And I don't even know how to do it, but I want to take up your way. Come into my heart, change me, make me the person you want me to be. If that's you this morning, if that's the prayer of your heart, just with every head bowed and eye closed, just in, in an act of courage, if that was the prayer of your heart right now, would you just raise your hand so I could pray for you? Thank you. God bless you and you and you. And thank you. Hold them high. Don't be ashamed. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Is there anyone else? God bless you. Lord God. Father, help us to just not be autonomous people. But Lord, we thank you for our individuality. But Lord, help us to be connected to one another and to you as well. Give us the courage to step into that, the bravery to step into that, and the grace to step into it. Lord, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, hey, listen, this morning, for those of you that raised your hand, On behalf of Clovis Hills Community Church, we want to welcome you to the family of God. Amen? It's the best decision you will ever make. And here's what I would love for you to do. If you raised your hand this morning, um, we have have, on our bulletin, we have a tear-off. Tell me about it. Write on there your decision or whatever you prayed or maybe you made a commitment to God or you're recommitting your life to God. And uh, write it on there. And when the offering comes by, drop it in there. I want to pray for you. I want to help you grow in your relationship with God. For some of you, you want to talk to someone, um, I'll be up here after church. There's also people at our baptism tent that are trained. They know all, they know all kinds of 
answers. They won't push you into the water and force you to get baptized, I promise. Um, we've already got our 150, so we're good. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> kidding. Um, the, but, but what I'm saying is you can go out there, and they're always there, trained, ready to answer any questions you have. But guys, when we hear about God's good news, when we hear what he did for us, when we hear just how scandalous grace is, and that he could save someone like me, man, our, our response should be worship. Our response should be celebration. So let's do this. As God's people, let's celebrate the good news that we just heard, and let's sing about the scandal of grace. Amen? Let's rise to our feet and let's sing. Joseph, take it.